Preacher, what's that all about? Well, hey, boy, that's, we're in modern world now. Here we go. Okay. So just a little mantra that we share together. If you would hold up either your Bible or your cell phone with your Bible. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. And here's a prayer we pray every Sunday. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high five your neighbor over there. Give him a fist pound. I used to say pound your neighbor, and that didn't come out quite right. So, fist pound. <laughs> so, if, if your neighbor looks like they need a hug, we'll reach over and give them a hug, would you? They, they might need a hug. So, Some of you don't really need a reason, do you? <laughs> just do it anyway. If you're sitting by yourself, just hug yourself. It'll be okay. Probably be the best hug you've had in a while. Oh, I've enjoyed this sermon series. Uh, these four couples we've looked at have been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. Today is going to be a tough message. I'm going to tell you up front, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Some of the things I'm going to share with you will be tough. But I want to start with a little video promo. So, uh, Jeff, if you'd run that for me, please. Hosea was a prophet Hello. who was told by God to marry a harlot named Gomer. Hello. At first, their marriage was lovely and productive. But soon, Hosea became distracted by work, and Gomer became distracted by other things. And before long, Gomer bore another son, which looked suspiciously like the mailman. Wait a minute. Find out what Hosea did next, next week in Once Upon a Marriage. Oh boy. She got distracted with other things. I love that. <laughs> that line. Great story. Great lessons to learn. And uh, I want to start out with a couple of uh, pretty light questions here. How many of you um, one day knew that you were going to commit adultery? cheat on your spouse, uh, get maybe something on the side. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you really had planned to do that one day? Well, I'm glad to see no hands up. That's awesome. How many of you planned to get married, uh, popping out a few kids, and then getting a bitter, ugly divorce? Let me see those hands. All right. All right. There's always one in every crowd. Statistically, statistically, more than half of the people who hear this statement, studies show, will commit adultery. Somewhere around half, according to almost every study, marriage ends in divorce. Oklahoma ranks number two in the numbers of divorce behind Reno, Nevada. Well, we're, we're right up there with the powerhouses, aren't we? No one ever plans to begin a relationship that's going to end in a divorce. You don't get into it going, boy, I can't wait till I kick you in the teeth. You know, I mean, it is, you don't. And there's all sorts of possible answers as to why these things happen. One of them is that I believe our society does a horrible job preparing people for marriage. In fact, I would argue that society is more successful at preparing people for divorce. I want you to think about that for a minute. 
what dating has become is really a good preparation for divorce. It used to be that there were uh, little things reserved for marriage. There were some things that were just reserved for marriage. You would say, I love you. You, uh, you, you, would, you would hang out with them and, and all of that stuff. And uh, your heart would be given to them and physical things would happen. You'd share your bodies. You'd stay all night. You'd uh, put your toothbrush by the sink in the same place. And you'd live together and you'd just go on playing house. Pretending to be married, doing married things, and when it didn't work out, take up your toothbrush, your broken heart, and you practice divorce. And after you've done that with two or three, eight, twelve, twenty-two <laughs> different people, it's no wonder that when the only thing that's really different is this little ceremony that people have in a church, that really doesn't mean that much. Even when you say the vows before God and people here, it doesn't really mean much when it all comes down to it. Because when things get tough, people grab their toothbrush and what's left of their heart and they move on. Society has trained us well for divorce. Now many of you who will be married one day or who are married now, you're going to face some bumps in the road. The normal logic is when things get tough, you take your toothbrush and you go somewhere else. And what I want to do today is to look at a story that's very painful and yet very beautiful at the same time. And we will see that when there is every good reason for divorce, oftentimes God has something different. We're going to look at a couple of uh, named Hosea and Gomer. Last week we looked at Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah's handmaid, anybody remember her name? Hagar. Or Hagar. Hagar. <laughs> so we've looked at three women in the Old Testament whose names were Jezebel, never met a girl named Jezebel. Hagar, never met a girl named Hagar. You met one just last week, a Hagar? Well, God bless you on that, brother. And then today we're going to look at a girl named Gomer. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I look at, at, at a baby girl, when I looked at Kelsey after she was born, I didn't look and see Gomer. <laughs> I saw Kelsey. And she's beautiful. But let me give you a little context for the story. It was 760 years before the birth of Christ, this story took place. Jeroboam II was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were enjoying an, a time of unprecedented prosperity. Sadly, though, when there is economic increase, there's always, almost always, moral and spiritual decrease. And that's what we're going to see here and are seeing here in this story. So God raises up a prophet named Hosea. He speaks to the spiritual adultery and vile sins of the people of the land. We read it earlier in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Then uh, the Lord speaks to Hosea and the Lord says uh, God's going to ask him to do something that is insane. God says to him, go take yourself an adulterous wife a and children of unfaithfulness. Now I'm not sure that that's the type of uh, girl you want to start your married relationship with, but God's telling him to do it. The Hebrew word translated an adulterous wife can be also translated harlot or prostitute. So God tells this prophet to go marry a very immoral woman. 
So why would God do that? Well, look what else he says. Because the land, or the people of the land, are guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he marries Gomer, the daughter of Diblam. I'm not sure that Diblam's a great name either. I wonder about some of these names in the Old Testament. But all of them had a, had a reason to be named what they are. So Gomer... Daughter of Diblam conceives and bears Hosea's son. So why in the world would God tell this budding young prophet to go marry a prostitute? Probably need to pause for a minute and think about that. Because really the story is kind of difficult to stomach. Stories, as most stories, have, has layers. Layers upon layers. We're going to, we're going to watch this one layer is a very little story between Hosea and this immoral Gomer. And then there's another layer that's a picture of God, just like Hosea is loving this immoral God, a woman God is loving this immoral people called Israel. Just like another layer is God who is loving us as we continue to reject and sin against Him. So throughout this whole story, there's layers upon layers of meaning buried in a very disturbing and yet very beautiful marriage. But I want us to do this. To make it easy to understand, I'm, I'm going I'm to put their marriage in the context of our day. Let's see if this helps. If you were living today, it would go something like this. You've got this girl with a pretty bad past. One day she meets a young preacher, and God tells the preacher to marry this girl. So the preacher's probably thinking, well, if God told me to do this, well, it, I, I'm sure it's going to work out. I mean, He knows best. I'm always following the lead of God. And, and, and he wouldn't ask me to do something that, that's not a good thing. So she's probably thinking, wow, he's a nice guy. He's not just looking out for one thing. Got a good job. I like his family. Finally, a decent man who likes me. So they get married. They fill up with hopes and dreams. They go off to Hawaii and get a little happy while they're there. And lo and behold, they are pregnant. <laughs> They come back and they're all excited and she gets a little poochy poochy. Then one day the baby kicks and she's like, whoo, falling in love with the baby. And They go and they get an ultrasound. Is it a girl? Is it a boy? And they find out that there's a stem on the apple. So they're going through names. I'll let you wrestle with that one. I'm seeing some of this. What's he saying? <laughs> Discuss it over lunch. How they're going through names. They're going to name him this. They're going to name him that. No, that's an old boyfriend's name. I can't name him that because she had a lot of old boyfriends. <laughs> so they're narrowing it down and they're going to call it. Well, they're going to call this kid. They're doing baby showers. They're painting the room blue. Then one day the baby's born and she looks down and he's got your toes, she thinks. He's got your eyes. And they're going through this whole deal like, Young couples with their first child do, and they're happy, they're dreaming of a great future, and then life happens. Life happens. Much the way it has happened to you. His ministry picks up, he's spending more time at the church, she's resentful, because he's not really helping with the baby, he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know how to change a poopy diaper, and doesn't even like to do it. So he's neglecting that. She's upset. He's not taking out the garbage like her dad did. Every woman knows. Every guy is supposed to take out the garbage. His dad didn't do it, so he didn't really learn that he's supposed to do that. And that's his job. So she's upset. 
she's letting herself go. Her body's not what it used to be. I mean, after all, she just had a kid. She's coming down with all these wacko hormones that are raging wild. And she's not really friendly anymore. And she's feeling kind of trapped. And she's feeling very neglected. And she's not paying much attention to his needs because she's not. And he's not. And they're not. And they're just not doing very well. Then one day something happens. An old boyfriend talks to her on Facebook. Remember, I'm bringing it up to today. She goes down to the gym. She tries to get back in shape with this cute trainer who pays attention to her. She takes a part-time job because finances are tight, but really there's a guy that's there and he's really nice. Then there's this red-headed mailman showing up. One day, too many. Something happens and this woman believes the most common marriage misconception there is and she buys into the lie that what I'm missing is better than what I've had and what I have. I've got a pretty good guy here, but he's not bringing me everything I want. And those things that I do not have are more important than the things that I do have. So she does what verse 5 of Hosea 2 says. I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And although this guy, he offers me so much, there are a few things that he doesn't offer me and somebody else can So she does what people have done for centuries. They trade the 80 for the 20. The 80 for the 20. One of the most foolish and most common trades that there is, they trade the 80 for the 20. And you might say, preacher, what is that? Well, in a decent marriage, a person is going to provide and meet about 80% of your needs and expectations. No one is going to meet 100%. It's a physical impossibility. You want to set someone up for failure, then you, then you try to meet every one of their needs 100%. You won't be able to do it. Pretend like uh, they can meet all, you can meet all your needs and it's just not going to happen. So you'll deliver 80% and there's going to be this 20% that's left out there. And oftentimes people will trade that 20% for the 80 that they, they have. It's a sure thing. And you might say, well, that's kind of crazy. Well, yeah, it may be. But look at your life. Look where you are. I will guarantee you there's some people in this church right now, in this room, this morning, who are in that 80-20 setup. And they're struggling. They're believing the lie. What I'm missing is better than what I have. And that's what Gomer did. She went out, met a couple of other guys, got pregnant, had their kids. Named the daughter Lohurama. <laughs> I love these Bible names. God actually told her husband to name his daughter Lo-Rama. Her name means unpitied, unloved, or not loved by the true father. So every time he called her name, he said, I really don't love you. <laughs> These names were actually revealing the hurt that God was feeling. So she goes, she, she goes out, finds another guy, gets pregnant, and has a son, and God says, call him Lo-Ami, which means no kin of mine. <laughs> You're not related to me. You can begin to hear the hurt that God has when His people are rejecting Him over and over and over again. If you've ever been 
cheated on, you know the pain. God felt cheated on. God felt like His people were committing spiritual adultery. And if you read through the whole book of Hosea, it's really painful to watch God hurt. And this is what He does. He hurts, and I can try to spin it and make it look like it's not, but, but here's what it is. He, he throws a fit. He gets angry. He really, really does. I mean, you can read it. He's hurt, he's angry, he's jealous. And he has every right to be angry and mad and jealous because He is God and He wants all of our hearts. I want you, again, to think and maybe let me divert you a little bit from marriage to where I want to look and that's at God's heart for a minute. His, he had two responses to spiritual adultery. The first one, he had a very righteous anger. A very righteous anger. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, here's what he says. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. That's an angry God, isn't it? You didn't hear the hurt. You didn't hear the jealousy. Because in the Old Testament, he says, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. And I believe that bleeds over into the New Testament. You have no idols. You worship me and me alone because he's God. He has every right to ask us that. We know he's good. And how foolish we are for rejecting Him because it hurts Him and it makes Him angry. Just give me your heart and your love and then you almost hear Him saying, you know what? You want to do life without me? Well, let me just... I want you to see how that works. You want to do marriage without me? Well, I want you to see how that works out too. You want to do your finances without me? Let's see how that works out for you. Isn't that the Dr. Phil phrase? How's that working for you? God says there's a sense of possessiveness and nobody's going to steal her from me. I would say that uh, if you were ever betrayed and you found yourself a bit angry, you're in good company because God is angry at how He is treated not only by the children of Israel, but by us. By us. You know what, Satan? You're not stealing my marriage. You think I'm going to roll over and go away like most people? No way. When I said something to God, I meant it. And I'm going to fight for this thing. I don't care uh, what old Bozo is doing. I don't care where they are. I don't care if, if, if they are out. I'm in. I'm still the husband. No one's taking her from me. And God is saying the same thing to Satan as nobody's going to steal my church. I will fight for her to the very death. And the great news is, he whipped death. <laughs> That's why as sad as it is that Terry's not here, 
there's a rejoicing because he's not he had dwindled down to 130 pounds his liver had shut down his eyes were yellow his skin was jaundiced he was in pain every day and that old goofy smile he always had on his face guess what it's back and I'll bet you a dime to a dollar he's just dancing up a storm in heaven now, I don't know. He's probably an ugly dancer, but that's okay. It's a pretty, pretty dance to God. So, as difficult as it is, more times than not, we take our toothbrush, we go somewhere else rather than stand and fight to keep what God wants us to have and to keep a relationship. And there's really no grounds for divorce, but it's usually the easiest way to go. And so, Rather than respond like God did with a righteous anger, we're just going to walk away. But if you read this story, there is something beautiful and very suddenly, sudden that shifts in God's response. And, and that's the second response that God gives. First was a righteous anger. And secondly, it's a very definite, unfailing love. Look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2. Therefore, I am not going to allure her. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. In your Bibles, circle or underline the word Achor. And out beside that word in the margin, draw a little line and write the word trouble. That's what Achor means. Trouble. I will make the valley of trouble, God is saying, into a door of what? Hope. Hope. When hope is available, good things come. Amen? That's right. Did you know that there are basically two ways to have a great marriage? Way number one is do everything right. It works. I promise. You just don't sin. Do everything right. Way number two is to walk through the valley of Achor together until you find the door of hope. What does that mean, preacher? Well, you don't always do everything right. <laughs> Men, if I were to ask your wives how perfect you really are and they were gut level honest, you wouldn't want to hear their answer, would you? Because you know they can really tell it like it is, amen? And they deserve to because they put up with us. Now we could flip that same story and we could ask the husbands, how perfect is your wife? And they would say, in every way. The longer you've been married, you understand that they're perfect in every way. And then when you're with the buddies drinking coffee, that's a whole different story. But, when she's in the room, she's perfect in every way. Yes, dear, whatever you want. That's the catchphrase. If you'll say that, man, you'll have a happy marriage all the rest of your life. Good luck. Good luck on that. But walking hand in hand together through the valley of Achor until you find that door of hope is critical. Because you see, we mess up and we cry 
And we, we do stupid things. But we walk through the valley of trouble. And on the other side, you walk that, through that together until you find that door of hope. Some of the best marriages I know have walked through the valley of betrayal. Have walked through the valley of adultery. Have walked through the valley of pornography. Have walked through the valley of rejection. Have walked through the valley of deceit. And when they walk through it together with God leading the way, they always come to that door of hope. Here's the deal. Now, I promise you, some of you, you're married. But you've given up on it. If you will continue to pursue God, especially, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you will pursue God and you will put Him, Jesus, in the center of the relationship and both of you come and cling to the cross, you'll find healing for that marriage. You've got to pursue God, especially... Both of you together, hand in hand, arm in arm, as you walk through the valley of Achor to that door of hope. And the challenge is that sometimes you are someone that's not going to walk with you. Sometimes you're going to find that person that just won't go. So my, my encouragement to you and my challenge to you is that you go alone. But always with your hand out, waiting for that spouse to take your hand. Don't stop. You change. You go to the go through the valley of Acor. You search for that door of hope, always with your hand out, ready to take their hand when they reach out and take yours. Big difference. Some of you right now, you're at that valley of Acor. You just can't have any hope. But I'm telling you, there's hope with God. There's hope with God. God's going to say the most amazing thing to this man who's been nothing but faithful, been nothing but betrayed by this woman. And if you fast forward in the story, what she's done is she now has left him. She's shown his love to her again and again and again. And she's out prostituting herself again, which you can only imagine how horrible that would be. Every night he walks through the town calling her name, Gomer! 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 And everybody knew the prophet's voice. And all at night, late at night, she's out, he's out hunting for his wife who's sleeping with other men. Can you imagine how embarrassed he felt every day to do this? And yet it's the same voice that God calls out to us from and with to say, where are you, believer? Where are you, believer? Harold, where have you gone? Harold, Harold, he calls my name. And he says something that's just unbelievable. God does. God, in summary, God says to him, I want you to forgive and love like you've been forgiven and loved. Seriously, God? (laughs) You know what she's done to me? You know how much pain she's inflicted on me? You know how embarrassed I am every day that I have to go hunt for my wife sleeping with other men? Are you kidding me? I've got these two kids at home that I don't even like because I've named them stuff to remind me of who they're not. Not mine. Really? You want me to forgive her and love her as I've been forgiven and loved? Have you lost your mind? Hosea chapter 3 verse 1. God says, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. (laughs) Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn other gods love her god is loving us right now and we really don't deserve it she didn't deserve it but god says go love her again 
You see the word again? Go love her again. Every day's a new day, isn't it? And when you're walking through the valley of Achor, hand in hand, arm in arm, looking, searching for the door of hope, it's going to come. It's going to come. And this is getting really down to where we all live, isn't it? There's no guarantees that she's going to respond the way she should. Even if I forgive her, she's not, maybe not going to respond the way she should. There's no guarantees in marriage. It's going to end up in divorce. If you do everything right, there's no guarantees. But even though we can't control the outcome, God is very, very clear on what we should do. That we should love and forgive as we've been loved and forgiven. Now, what's all that mean? It doesn't mean that if you've forgiven, you don't become this doormat. <laughs> it doesn't mean that if you're trying to reconcile, that you don't bring some new rules to the game. It doesn't mean that if he's always out looking at porn and on his computer, that, that you don't throw his computer out. You might move to a new town. It doesn't mean that you don't make some changes. It doesn't mean that you just let someone walk all over you, but it does mean that it, that no matter what your spouse does, you are going to choose to do what's right, even though there are no guarantees. And that's the hard part of the story. Nothing is easy about any of what I've mentioned and what I've said. But I can promise you this. When it gets tough, every friend around you, most friends around you, will tell you, dump them. Dump them. Break it off. Get a divorce. Because you see, that's what you've been trained to do anyway. And it may be that God would say it's not time to give up yet. Marriage is really, really important. And my goal is not to bring condemnation on those who have been divorced. And there are times when you are going to do everything right and you are still going to end up divorced, but someone else won't. See, my contention is not so much the divorce as it is what are you like now after the fact? <coughs> How different is your life? Did you learn anything? <laughs> are you any different? It must have been happening early on because Moses dealt with it back in Deuteronomy. Are you with me? Sometimes we go in with great expectations. And it doesn't work out right. There's various reasons. But one reason that should never happen is that you gave up and didn't at least try. Didn't at least try. I know this topic brings up a lot of emotion and I don't mean to hurt anyone or say something that would offend you. I just simply want you to know that God is a great God ready to do a great work. And if we'll walk through the valley of Achor together hand in hand, there will be a door of hope. There will be a door of hope. I read about a couple this week in preparation for the message and the husband had betrayed his wife and they had had a phenomenal marriage and the lady asked, "Would you?" Uh, was, was asked, would you undo the adultery? Listen to her answer. I would never want anyone to endure what I endured, but I wouldn't change what I walked through for what I have now. That's what God can do through the door of hope. If you walk through it, if you walk through it, what a great response. But let me 
tell you the end of the story with Hosea and Gomer. God tells the prophet to go and pursue his very immoral wife. And here's what he does to go and show his love again. He goes and takes his own money and he purchases her. He buys her out of prostitution. He pays for his wife, which precisely is what God did for us. And that while we were prostituting ourselves against God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He shed his blood to purchase us back so we could truly know his love. Because he loved her enough to purchase her out of sin, Christ loved you and me enough to purchase us out of sin. Pray with me, would you? As uh, the worship team comes back to help me close. God, I'm praying that you would do a work in a way that only you can. God, I acknowledge the layers of pain and all of the different emotions and hurt and confusion. And I pray there would be, not be, a sense of guilt. But God, somehow there would be this sense of hope. And God, I'm asking those that are praying with me right now, very broadly, if there's any area in their life, maybe it's relational, spiritual, financial, emotional, it could be a number of things. God, how many of these folks would say, right now I feel like I'm in the valley of Acor? God, I pray for these folks. I pray that Your presence will be real to them. Even as you promised in the 23rd Psalm that we would only walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we will do it not fearing evil because you're with us. So Father, the shadow of death, the valley of Achor, the valley of desperation, the valley of depression, the valley of rejection, the valley of struggling marriages, the valley of financial hardship, the valley of fear, the valley of self-doubt, the valley of guilt. God, we embrace you. God, teach us to put our faith in you, not in another person. Not in our own ideas. Not in our own ability to manipulate or to get our desired outcome. But to put our faith in You. Oh God, would You respond to us today. From the valley of Achor as we're seeking that door of hope. Would You, God, provide a way. If there's somebody here, God, that needs to respond to You. Would you have them do it? Outwardly is a great way to do it. To come forward and to, to let the church body know. God, you don't, you don't mind if we're very private and silent and do it from where we're sitting or standing in just a moment. But there is something about accountability that helps us. There's something about somebody saying, you know, I've got a struggle and ten other people having the same struggle but didn't have the courage to say it. And there's strength in numbers. So God, I pray that today, today, if there's a marriage that's crumbling, that they'll take each other's hand and they'll walk through the valley of Acor, searching for the door of hope. Whatever need is present, God, would you meet it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stay.